0: Well, how many of you ready to go this morning? Ready to rock and roll, man. We're so again glad that you're here. I'm, I'm just, I'm thrilled to be with Jesus. Aren't you just happy, 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 happy? Some of you happy this morning, ain't happy yet. Well, we'll, we'll look at your neighbors, and get happy real quick, because we're gonna have a good time this morning. You know, we're gonna continue on what we've been discussing these last little while, just talking about spiritual growth. And again, really identifying and recognizing the season that we're in. And it's crucial. I really believe I've taken this advice from my own self, is that understanding or having success is really understanding the season that you're in. And that's why a lot of times social media can really be a drag because you look at somebody else's highlight reels and you go, their life is all put together. How come they got everything going for them? You don't see the lows. right? (laughs) Nobody knows that this morning I was up at quarter after five with my son trying to put him down six to six times. Go back to bed. I didn't highlight that. Why? Why is that going to be on my Instagram? Because nobody's going to like that. I didn't like it. So what we're doing is really just taking the time and recognizing the season that we're in. And I believe, as we said a little while ago, the season that we are in is the Lord is really bringing us up into such a place, growing us up into such a place that he can reveal and demonstrate himself powerfully, not just so that we can go, oh, that was a great service, I felt it. But us we can also take now those encounters, those experiences, and now be a distribution center of his presence everywhere we go. So it's encounter for the purpose of reconciliation. You know, those that don't know the Lord, that they be reconciled to him. And maybe you got friends or family that do know the Lord, and maybe, hey, they need to be reconciled back to his ways and understanding the ways of God, kind of like what Jillian was saying earlier, is that when we understand how God operates and how he flows, then things start making sense. God is not complicated. Aren't you thankful for that? He is not a complicated being. He's actually, you can, when you start to get into his word and you got understand his character, you can actually find out how he operates. That's what he's interested in doing. I mean, really, if God wanted us to be ignorant or stupid at all these spiritual things, he wouldn't have gave us a Bible. He wouldn't have gave us the Holy Spirit, who is the author and the teacher of this Bible. And now where does he live? Somewhere out there? No, he lives on the inside of you. So God really has done everything on his end to make sure ignorance was never in the body of Christ, was never in the church. So your days of ignorance are over. That's something I confess regularly. Lord, Lord, I don't got to be stupid anymore. I'm so thankful that stupid is no longer part of my life. You can say that too. Stupid, go away. But if we don't get into the word, stupid stays. So really the choice is yours. (laughs) All right. On that high note, let's continuing on here. Talking about spiritual growth. And I am thoroughly convinced that spiritual growth can only come through grace. Yeah. Spiritual growth can only come through grace. Really, there's not enough religious duties that you and I could do to get to grow spiritually. There's not enough things that you can memorize, scriptures you can memorize, that will grow you up spiritually. Spiritual growth is, comes by grace. Or another way of saying it, spiritual growth comes from a personal relationship with Jesus. It's fresh. It's up to date. I don't know if you got emails on your phone. Anybody got the app email on your phone? And a lot of times, what do you do when all of a sudden you're expecting some emails or whatever? You kind of pull down right on that little and you feel a little click on your phone. And what's happening, it's updating, it's uploading and ready to give you new mail that needs to come into your inbox or that has been there. Well, the same thing for with you and I, with our relationship with the Lord, I need a fresh inbox with him. What am I doing? I'm getting uploads and downloads from His Word, so I've got to make sure that I'm getting into this Word. So I'm constantly doing that little broop, so that He can download and input on the inside of me an up-to-date relationship. Because if I haven't checked my email, you know, I got 15,000 messages that I haven't checked yet. Anybody have an email inbox like that? If I look on your phone and you got the little mailbox and you get the little red dot that has 15,482 emails, what does that mean? It's not checked. You haven't checked or you're not up to date on the emails or on all the whatever you get in your inboxes, right? Well, it's the same way. And here's the good thing about God. It's not spam. It's not junk email. It's stuff that you need for living. It's stuff that you need to understand who he is, how to live this life that he's called us to live. So I'm so thankful that the Lord is always willing to upload and to download into our mailboxes. But you got to read the message. We we good there? We all okay? We're all on par there. So again, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is how I'm going to grow spiritually. And again, spiritual growth is the foundation for any kind of growth. Naturally speaking, even in your mind. Sometimes, again, we talked about this last week, just real briefly. But we spend so much time trying to upgrade just the outside or upgrade our soul life, and that, that's great. But at the expense of not developing and training our own spirits, it's detrimental. Like, if you don't have a strong spirit, you won't be able to sustain all the bring that come up here, what's happening. Naturally speaking, we are developing a strong spirit which will affect the way you think. Anxiety can be solved by growing up spiritually. Sometimes what do we do? We just try to fix natural problems with natural things. That's not how God intended it. You are a spirit being. You possess or you have a soul, which is your mind, it's your will, it's your emotions, and you live in this out this space suit or this, uh, no, not space suit, this earth suit. You live in this suit right here. So, everybody got their suit on? Like, thank you, you got the suit on. This is what you have in order to be on this earth. But this is not you. You are a spirit. And so, we have to recognize that if we're going to continue to grow and advance spiritually speaking. Did you know, I was just reminded while we were worshiping this day, uh, whatever we're doing, naturally speaking, we're not going to be doing it forever. Did you know that? I mean, a million years from now, what are you going to be doing? (laughs) Thank God not bringing out the trash. Got to do all this. Got to, you know, do all that. We're going to be doing some spiritual things, and so you and I have got to get that in our mindset that we are living for a day, not just, you know, tomorrow. We're living for this day that we are going to meet the Lord face to face. So don't just kind of put that off. That is the main deal while we're here. So in Acts chapter 4, I mean, if you read the whole chapter of what took place and what's happening there, you actually found the the disciples, Peter and John, they had raised up a, a man that had been uh, a beggar he had never walked a day in his life, and they reached down, they grabbed him up, and say, "In the name of Jesus, stand up and walk, and instantly his ankle bones received strength, and he was miraculously healed, and everybody was going, What? what just took place and ah it 's amazing it 's amazing. Well, the religious folk had a big issue with it. religion always has a problem with the miracles. And so what happened, they brought them in, they had an issue with them, they, you know, they uh, warned them, they threatened them, don't you ever preach in the name of Jesus, and you know, they brought all of this problem, all these things to them. Well, what we kind of find out here is that the council, as soon as they brought them in, they noticed something about these men. Don't you dare preach in the name of Jesus. And you know, they all went on to say, well, whether we preach or we don't, really, we have to obey God rather than you. That was the whole input. And I want you just to see the council, the members here. They were astonished as they witnessed the bold courage of Peter and John, right? They're bold and they weren't obnoxious. They weren't these arrogant men. There was just this bold confidence. This humility really carries a confidence with it, especially when they discovered that these men were just ordinary who had never had religious training. Now, I love this next line. It says, Then they began to understand the effect that Jesus had on them simply by spending time with him. Jesus is supposed to have an effect on you. I mean, I remember as a kid, we were never allowed to watch Power Rangers. Any those of those in my generation, or you remember Power Rangers? Remember you had all the different color Power Rangers, and they would all have special moves, and they would kind of go into like this super-duper big guy, and they would defeat all the bad guys? And I was like, why can't we watch Power Rangers? Obviously, because it was at 5.30 in the morning. That was one I really am reaping what I've been sowing all those years. But I'm like, Lord, I didn't know. I didn't know. (laughs) I'm calling calling for harvest recall. No, I'm taking all that back. I don't want to sow that anymore. But we weren't allowed to watch it. Why? Because there was an effect to us watching it. And what was the effect? Broken furniture. Hurt siblings. The whiny siblings will, you know, tell on you. All of those types of things, right? Anybody else understand what I'm putting down? It's hard. You just want to enjoy a good show, but you can't because there was an effect of what you spent some time with. And so the same thing with you and I, what we see in Acts chapter 4 is that these religious leaders, they would see and they looked and they were astonished at the effect that Jesus had on these men. What was the effect? They were bold. They were humble. They spoke truth. They weren't these arrogant, rash kind of guys They were just full of God. They were full of Jesus because they simply spent time with him. Now, I know even just this last little bit, Jamie and I had an opportunity to retell or share our testimonies a little bit more in detail. And I thought that was such a powerful thing to remember again, just to remember what it was like on those first times of just spending time with Jesus because he wanted me. He had an effect on my life. The old things that I had a good time doing, I no longer wanted to do. Why? Because he affected me. It's not this religious thing We'll going, well, yeah, you're Jesus guy. Now you just can't do those things anymore. No, I, I really, it's, it's not that I don't want to do them anymore or I can't do them anymore. I don't want to do them anymore because he's changed me. He affected me in the most wonderful way. So what you hang around with, who you hang around with, affects you. Yeah. Right? We, we know that. We know that to be true. We tell our kids that all the time. But when's the last time we hung out with him? When's the last time that his presence actually affected us? Because it's supposed to affect us in a beautiful way. And I want you to look at this one too in Roman, or Revelation chapter 2. And when you read about the first couple of chapters in Revelation, it's these messages to the churches And you really find in Revelation chapter 2 again to the church at Ephesus, Jesus is explaining, he said, I know all the works that you've been doing. I see that you hate and don't tolerate evil. I see that you are those out there that are apostles and you realize that they're not because they come with a false message. I know how tirelessly you're working. I know that you haven't given up and you've struggled and you've continued. Well done. But then he goes on to say in verse 4, he says, here is my problem. Other translations say, but I have this one thing against you. What is that one thing? Like, man, Lord, I'm working hard. How can you got a problem here? Well, remember what this is all about. This isn't just doing things for Jesus and getting an applause from him. This is actually more importantly, you've divorced me and abandoned your first love. I remember I made a strong, not just, it wasn't just words off the top of my head. It became an oath to me, Lord, I will never divorce you. Never, ever, 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 ever. So what does that look like? It's not just, okay, well, I don't, I'm busy for you. I will never turn my back on you. And then he says, now I implore you, again, Jesus' words, I implore you to call to mind that place from where you have fallen. He says, remember our intimate romance. Say with me. Remember our intimate romance. Remember it. Why do I have to remember my intimate romance? Why can't I just stay busy? Why can't I just be doing all these types of things? Because this poetry or this romance of this union is the driving force behind your life. Right. Yeah. It is so different from, the, from being duty or guilt-driven. It is your entwining with my thoughts that you are the most strategic and that you are the most effective. So you and I living on this earth, what is the best thing that you can do, not just for yourself, but for your family, is allowing his thoughts to be completely entwined with my thoughts, so now I'm completely affected by who he is. That's the greatest thing that I could do for the church. That's the greatest thing that I could do for my family. That's the greatest thing I could do as I raise up my son and daughter. This is the greatest thing that I can do is that I get so entwined in my romance with the Lord Jesus that everywhere I go, people smell him. They go, what, what is this? What's, what, what are you carrying? Him. And it's not some weird. I used to think, man, like to really get to that place, you gotta, you got to really do lots for the Lord. No you just got to be with him. I remember, and I, there's a gentleman that I really enjoy reading after, Smith Wigglesworth. You've probably heard of an Apostle of faith, he was called. And there's been testimonies and things that you see of this man's life, and they would ask him, like, what do you do? You must spend at least 22 hours of prayer a day. Nope. He'd just care about but... At the same time, he's mindful of the Lord everywhere he goes. He said, I would stop every 10 to 15 minutes and say, Lord, is there anything that's affecting our relationship right now? Is there anything you need me to do at this exact moment? And he would just live constantly aware of the presence of God on the inside of him. So much so that I love this one testimony that he was sitting in a train. That's the kind of how they traveled back in Europe, and I know they still do. But he would sit in this in this cab, and all of a sudden another another guy walked in and sat across from him in this, in this, in this train. And as they were traveling, all 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 of a sudden, this man drops to his knees, tears running down his eyes. He says, sir, what is it I need to repent of? Did he he speak a message? You need to repent. You need to change. It was just the aura that he carried because whatever is overshadowing you, now you become and you take on that shadow wherever you go. I will dwell in the secret place of the Most High, and everywhere I go, that shadow completely, goes all over me and where it touches everything that I do and that's the same thing that we want amen Amen. all right and the reason why we say that because again to be with him especially in this corporate anointing I love getting together with you all it's it's wonderful anybody else enjoy that and the rest of you I love coming together because it's powerful when we get together but it's useless if he's not here if he doesn't show up, and of course we would love for him to show up. We know that he is through his word. He said two, where people are gathered in my name, there I am. But are we intentionally showing up with that mindset of, I'm going for him. I'm going to have an expectation of just seeing my king, being with my king, letting his word dominate and change me from the inside out, change my perspectives, give me new understanding. Lord, If I, that's what I'm going for. That's what I came here for. All right, I'm glad we're on the same thing here. Again, because anything that we do that doesn't involve him isn't worth anything now or in the age to come. And that's something that I've just been thinking a little bit about, the age to come. Everything that I do, I want him all over it because it's not going to benefit me in the age to come. I want him involved. And that includes our gatherings. Are we okay with that? We could try to entertain, but I suck at entertaining. I don't know how to do that. This is the day. I, anyway. So now let's look at First Timothy. Anybody knew the actions to that song? Or we bring a sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. I feel like I'm gonna do a special next week, Carrie, if that's cool. All right. (laughs) Some of you ain't coming next week, Sunday. Okay, I understand that. All right. (laughs) Don't worry, I won't, I won't. But first Timothy chapter four, verse eight. In the Amplified Bible, it says physical training is of some value. What's the value? You can move a couch. Or all of a sudden you get friends when all of a sudden they gotta move something really heavy. Right? Anybody not been asked to move anything recently? It may be because you haven't physically worked out. (laughs) All right. It's useful for a little, but godliness or spiritual training, it is useful and of value in everything and in every way. For it holds promise for the present life and also for the life which is yet to come. So spiritual training is what we're doing here, is what we're taking the time to do, is we're getting spiritually fit. Now, the Message Bible says it like this. I, I, I love the way he says it. Exercise daily in God. No spiritual flabbiness, please. Right? Workouts in the gym are useful, but a disciplined life in God is far more so making you fit both today and forever. So the question we're asking is, we're taking the time to remove and get rid of spiritual flabbiness. Anybody okay with doing some of that? Man, if we could look spiritually speaking, how are we looking? Do we got a little bit... What's this? What's this extra flab going on? So how do we get rid of spiritual flabbiness? Can you do enough crunchies to get rid of it? (laughs) I wish. All right. How do we do that? Is that spiritual flabbiness is in any believing that doesn't line up with God's word. Anything in my life that hasn't been changed by how the word says that spiritual flab. And to get rid of spiritual flabbiness, what do I have to do? I have to allow the Word of God now to become my foundation. It needs to become the area where I go to get corrected. It's my place of getting established is the Word of God. So this is, again, not for you to look at anybody else and say, oh, man, they got some spiritual fat all over them. I need a change. No, no, no. We're looking after ourselves. I can't, I can't exercise for anybody else physically, Right? Imagine how great that would be if Donovan all of a sudden can come do some push-ups for me and I get the results of that. Are you kidding me? Rock on. But I can't. He can't. Same way spiritually speaking. We can't just... I can't just go to the Word of God and all of a sudden, the revelation that I've received from the Lord, it won't just benefit you. And here's the great thing about God. He wants to give you first-hand revelation of himself. God paid too big of a price for you to receive second-hand information about Jesus. So what is he interested in doing? Having your own personal workout plan with him, and that all includes having an up-to-date relationship with him where he wants to renew your mind according to his word, and he wants to teach you just right where you're at. So this isn't about, well, man, I got a lot of spiritual flabbiness. That's okay. The problem is, is if you stay there. Yeah, that's right. The goal is, hey, that's, that's great. You're just starting out. You may have flab all over. That's okay. Okay. As long as you're going, you know what? I want to grow in this. I want to get rid of some of this stuff. I want the word of God to now dominate my thinking. I want it to be the first place that I go to whenever something comes my way. I go, what does the word say about that? What does the word say about that? This is what the word says. This is what the word says. And when you start doing that, spiritual flap starts falling off you. Are we okay going that way? This is what we're going. And I believe this Jesus needs and desires and paid for a spiritually fit church. Now, the good thing, again, is that Jesus has already provided your and my gym access. You don't have to try to pay to get spiritually fit. It's been provided. You just now have to take what's been provided and start applying it to your life. Thank God for that. Okay. So, again, how do I go about losing spiritual flabbiness is allowing the word of God to correct and establish my belief systems. Hebrews chapter 3, we've done this many times, but it's good that we keep repeating it over and over again. You don't do a sit-up once, you do it again and again and again for that six-pack. Yes. Or just, if you find with the one-pack, just a little crunch <laughs> once in a while. But we want to keep reading it, keep putting it on the inside of us, because we're getting trained by the Word. Okay. It says, God swore an oath that day, again, talking about the Israelites, which we're going to get to today is that they would never enter. Listen, these are big words. God swore an oath that they would never enter into his calming place of rest all because they disobeyed him. Verse 19, it is clear that they could not enter into their inheritance because they wrapped their hearts in unbelief. So God views disobedience and unbelief the same way disobedience in God's mind is unbelief. So therefore, on the opposite, obedience to God means believing properly. So you and I, what is our spiritual, what is our spiritual exercising? Is getting our belief system back on track. Getting underneath the, the bench, so to speak, the workout bench of the Word of God and allowing it to define and take out any excess that not, need not be there. Lord, I need to change the way that I think of that. I need to believe differently about you. I need to believe differently about this situation. Allowing the word now to dominate your thought life. To actually get it to be the say-so. Well, I think this. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter at all. When we became Christians, we gave up our right for opinions. Our job is, what's my opinion now? It has to be the word. If it's not the word, now I'm a Christian with an opinion. And really accounts for nothing. The Lord's not gonna go, hey, what's, what's your opinion on all those types of things out there? Oh, Lord, I really think this. And you think He's gonna change the way that He thinks in order to go, yeah, you know what? That sounds progressive. Let's do that. He is gonna stick with His Word. God is not gonna change based on the culture of what's happening today. So, what do we need to do? We need to adapt ourselves to this because this works. I don't know when society will figure it out. It ain't working. Excuse my English. My wife is going to correct me on that later. But society, why isn't it working? Because it doesn't line up with the Word. Yeah. When things start making sense in our life again, is because we went to the spiritual gym, so to speak, and the Holy Spirit is able to custom make that verse to fit you perfectly. And you go, oh, ooh, that felt good. That looks good. Okay, Lord, I see that. He's able to relate to you at your own pace. Now, Amen. why do I need to check out my believing? Why is that so important? Well, we're called believers, are we not? So is it good maybe that once in a while we check out the believing side of things? Because it matters what you believe. Right? Doesn't it? All right. I need everybody in unison on that. It matters what you believe. What makes a difference between you and somebody else that's in the world is what you believe. So it's huge for us. And why is it important that we go to it? Hebrews chapter 3 verse 12. If you go back a couple of verses, he lays out, he says, "Search your hearts every day, my brothers and sisters, and make sure." Say with me, mean. make, sure. "Make sure." What am I making sure of? That none of you has this evil or an unbelieving heart or hiding within you. Unbelief hiding within you. Unbelief, what? Hiding. hiding? Now it's hiding. How do you expose flabbiness? You go to the Word. So what we spend so much of our time doing, wearing black, tucking it all in, we don't want it to be seen. Well, same way with this, it's easy to hide things in your heart for a season. But eventually, like you're seeing in this world of today, everything that is hidden comes to the light. So the best thing that you can do is, if you read on in Hebrews chapter 4, expose yourself to God completely allow him to see the flabbiness because he's not going to look at you and go, hmm, you getting a little heavy there, Joel, aren't you? You're a little spiritually unfit. He's not going to look at you and start condemning you. He's going to start going, let's now tweak some of these things here so that we start aligning because the goal is to look like my son. You're my son. Jesus is the son. So let's start aligning ourselves with this. And he'll start you know, directing you in that way. But he says, search your heart, my brothers and sisters, that no evil or unbelief hiding within you. Why is that? Because unbelief, it will lead you astray. And it will make you unresponsive to the living God. So this is what unbelief does. What does it do? Number one here is that unbelief will lead you astray. You're meaning you're supposed to be here, but you're over here. How did I get here? Unbelief. I'm not believing properly. How did I end up in this financial situation? Why can I not get anything paid? Why am I always behind? What is going on? And we know that's not God's will. So, what do we do? We spray and pray. We just hope one of these prayers sticks. And then God can go, all right. I heard that one. Blah 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 blah. Here it all is, and that's what spiritual ludicrous is. Is we just try, brrr, hoping, hoping, wishing that one of these things just took place. Oh, I felt a song, and it just made me cry. So surely God is going to bring that financial release. I know He's going to do it. Why, well, because I felt something. That's not it, and that's, that's spiritually. It's nuts to think that way. But that's what we end up doing so much of the time is just wishing that God would just do something, pull a lever, or just what else I'll do. I'll start looking to other people to become my source. And I'll start telling people, man, this is what happens. This is what I'm going through. And if they don't help you, now you get mad at them. And now there's a fence taking place. And all of a sudden, you read I'm way over here, all because a belief system is wrong. Now you're over here when you should have been over here. So I can't look to anybody else. I can't depend on anything else. God is what I appear before the Lord. He's going to go, did you go to my word? Did my word align and straighten out your thinking? That's what I'm, that's what I'm in charge of for my own self. Yes. Okay, all right. We're spiritually growing. The second thing unbelief does, it makes you unresponsive to the living God. Now that to me, that's scary. Unresponsive, what does that mean? Anybody ever come across, you know, maybe somebody who's unresponsive? they're kind of laying there. No movement. Uh, Wake up, please. You can't stop at them. There's no response, meaning, well, you come up to your own conclusions, but there's something wrong here. Well, the same way, spiritually speaking, is the Lord is communicating. He is revealing himself regularly. We don't have a God in heaven who has hidden himself. In fact, now Jesus, as he hung on the cross, he was completely naked, totally revealed, revealing and showing to you and I that heaven is no longer closed to humanity. It's completely open. So if God has completely opened himself through his son, Jesus Christ, revealing to him this by the spirit of God, what's wrong? I'm not responding. And that to me is a huge red light that I need to keep Keep check on my own self. All of a sudden, man, we're just, hey, let's let's raise our hands this morning. Let's just do that. And I go, I don't want to do that. Why? Why don't I want to do that? I need to check that out because it should be the Christian's response. Let's worship the Lord. That is a normal, healthy response. Instead of, let's raise our hands and worship the Lord. seriously that again yeah again day and night night and day incense rise. day night night (laughs) what's wrong i know we laugh about that but i have to look at that there's something going on in me and it's not the worship leader's issue let's lift our hands no that's a problem What is it? I'm not responding to the living God. So what do I need to check up on? I need to check somewhere in my belief system. And it may not necessarily just be on worship. It may be on something that, hey, you've carried somewhere in offense. And I see in my word, in Psalm 119, those that love the word of God shall never be offended. So Jamie and I made a decision a little while ago, a few years ago, that we choose to never be offended. Well, how can you say that? You don't know what people are going to say. That doesn't matter because when I delight in the word of God, it doesn't matter. Because I'm more interested in him and in what he thinks or says about me than when anybody else has to say or think about me. He now is the one that I'm looking to please. I cannot find joy or happiness in your head. <laughs> so I'll day and night, night and day, stretchy pants, let incense arise. All right. Moving along. <laughs> I will do a special next week. You're the, Okay. <laughs> and the last thing that we saw from Hebrews chapter 3, verse 19, is that unbelief, it actually, dis, to say it in D? Oh, it says here, oh, it's, sing it in D. Uh, D and I. I, I don't know. Just messing. I have no idea. A, B, C, D. I don't know. <laughs> Getting back here now to talk about Israel, because it's easier to talk about somebody else, is it not? Okay. Israel, they were disqualified because of their unbelief. So we read that it leads you astray. It makes you unresponsive to the living God. But unbelief also now disqualifies you from the inheritance. And that's what I think is absolutely nuts. what we talked about last week. You have been received from Jesus. You are an heir of God and a joint heir, the Bible says, with Jesus Christ. Everything the Father has now belongs to you and I. And now because of unbelief... I'm now disqualifying myself from everything that Jesus paid for? That to me is, hello. So what do I need to do? I need to check up continually on my belief system to make sure it is up to date. That it is in line with the word of God so that I am now reaping everything Jesus came to purchase for me on my behalf. Now, Pharaoh couldn't keep Israel out of the promise. The giants in the land couldn't keep Israel out of the promise? What kept Israel out of the inheritance that was promised them? Unbelief. Say with me, unbelief. That's what kept them out. And grace, as we see, has provided everything we'll ever need. Everything you need concerning life and godliness has been provided through an intimate knowledge of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. It's not about you, but that stirs me up to go, I want Jesus, and I'm going all out for Jesus. I want him. I want to know him. I want to know everything about him. What did you do? How did you do on my behalf? I want to be your friend. And the great news is he's already circled yes. There's nothing worse than a grade two kid passing over a sleep of paper to say, would you like to be my friend? Boyfriend, girlfriend, and they say, Maybe. (laughs) What does that mean? I don't know, but God says yes. Now, now before again we talk about Israel, I want you to notice again grace's willingness, what grace will do. Now, Titus chapter 2, let's look here again for a moment. But this is what grace has already said it will do for you and I. Aren't you thankful you're not alone? Man, I'm so glad. Look, this world is nuts. And I'm so glad that I'm not stuck by myself in my own thinking trying to figure out what do I got to do? How do I do this with my kids? How do I, you know, how do I keep a good marriage? How do I, how do, I, how do, I, how do, I do this? I think there's a question that the world is, how do I, and you fill in the blank, you have received this grace to teach you everything you need to know. Now, it says God's marvelous grace has manifested in person. Can you just think about this for a moment? God's marvelous grace has manifested or it has been revealed in person. Who is that? That's Jesus. So when we're talking grace, we're talking not just about a subject, we're talking about someone, and his name is Jesus. So God's marvelous grace, his son Jesus, has manifested in person, and he brought salvation to everyone. Everyone can receive this grace. Now, the moment you've received this grace, as we've said many times, you come out of this slave market and you are now instantly brought into the kingdom of his dear son. And in this kingdom, aren't you glad again, you are not stuck. Because verse 12, he goes on to say, this same Jesus, this same grace, say with me, same. This same grace that took you and rescued you out is now teaching you and I how to live each day as we turn our backs on ungodliness and indulgent lifestyles. And grace will also teach you how to equip us to live a self-controlled, upright, and a godly life in this present age. So we said this before, is that grace has been lied about. You sometimes hear, oh, you know, the more you talk about grace, the more you talk about grace is that people are going to sin. They're going to find this liberty to just do whatever they want to do. Newsflash, people are going to do whatever they want to do regardless Right? I think COVID kind of, you know, explored all that for us. People are going to do what they want to do, period. But the good news is, is that grace, Jesus, is now teaching you and I a few things here, how to live on this planet. And what is grace first and foremost teaching? Christian etiquette. And the good news is, it's not religious. Because some people kind of think, I know I had buddies, as soon as I gave my heart to Jesus and said, I'm involved, I'm going to church, and the first thing that comes in people's mind when you say Jesus, when you say church, anything like that is, oh, now there's certain things you just can't do anymore. Right? For some of you, you couldn't play cards. You can go to the movies either. Right? Some of those. Remember all that back in the day? Now there's other things. Oh, you can't go to the, oh, you just can't do any of that stuff anymore, man. You're, now you're just lame. Now there's nothing cool about you. But the good news is when grace teaches you, it's not just like, stop doing this, stop doing that. He's revealing to you and I a completely better lifestyle. Yeah. He's revealing himself. And when you get a taste of his goodness, you want more. I think the message Bible is this. this it says is actually when, you, when grace teaches you thing, these things, it whets your appetite for more of him. So what happens? You get a taste. Oh, man, it's like getting a spicy chicken burger. You just... And all of a sudden, you take that bite, and all of a sudden, you go... Oh, Jesus, the marriage supper of the lamb has got to be a spicy chicken. I know it. I know it. I know it to be true. And what do you want? You want another bite, and then another bite, and then another burger, and then another burger, and then you go to the gym to work it all up so you can do it again. It's a dangerous, vicious cycle. That's not me. Those are for gluttons out there. Not, that's not me. I'm good. I'm, I'm good. i I'm only about four a time. I'm good. I'm good. Just kidding. But this grace teaches us. Now, I want you to see here, this Greek word for ungodliness is singular. Do you see that? Ungodliness. And then in, while for indulgent lifestyles is plural, in the Greek, it's actually saying that we are to turn our backs um, to the root principle of ungodliness, and then the specific acts... That, risk, you know, that are risky for the ungodliness. Basically, what he's saying is, when you turn your back on ungodliness, all those indulgent lifestyles fall behind as well. Yeah. So meanwhile, you're, you and I are trying to figure, okay, I got to stop doing this. I can't be doing that. I shouldn't be doing this. I know what's wrong. I know what's wrong. I know what's wrong. No, he's saying to now understandly un- realize to turn my back on ungodliness. What is ungodliness? That's what I want to answer this morning. Let me finish reading this. Verse 13 He says, so while grace is teaching us all these things, he says, continue to look forward to the joyful fulfillment of our hope, our expectation, and the dawning splendor of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus, the anointed one. So he's saying, while you're living in this earth, don't forget to keep your eyes on that day. Why? Because my entire life is not, whatever I'm doing right now, I'm not going to be doing this forever. Verse 14. Verse 14. Jesus, he sacrificed himself for us that he might purchase our freedom from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people who are his very own, passionate to do what is beautiful in his eyes. What is going to teach you to do what is beautiful and pleasing in his eyes? Grace is going to teach you how to do that. So it's not coming out of this religious mindset going, thou shall not, if you do that, I'm excommunicated. Do not, do not, do not, do not. That's not Grace. Grace doesn't say, do not do this, in that tone. It doesn't work that way. Grace will show you and say, hey, that type of thinking, that type of lifestyle is bringing you back into the slave market, but look what I have provided for you over here. He will always leave a decision in your and my court. That's grace. Grace gives decision. Grace gives opportunity to choose which way you want to go. God says, I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Oh, please choose life. He gives you a hint. What's the good one? Please choose this so that you and your family may live. He knows which way is best, but because he loves you so much, you have the free will to choose whichever way you want to go. But do this. This will help you completely. Now, (laughs) going back to this thought is what is ungodliness? Ungodliness, if you just simply look it up dictionary-wise, it simply means this, to have a disregard for God. What is ungodliness? To disregard God. That word disregard, if we break that down a little bit more, it simply means to ignore or to pay no attention to God. So we know the world has a disregard or pays no attention to God. But how many people even still, you know, in in other places, in other churches, they have a disrespect or disrespect or they don't acknowledge God. They're not depending on God. Is there any area in your life that you're not depending on him in? Grace is going to teach you how to fully rely on Him. That's not a condemning question, by the way. Are you relying on God? Well, No. I know we're not. We're humans. We live in North America. We live in Western culture. We got a lot going for us on this end of the world. But you and I are now slowly making the change where all the systems that we've believed in, systems we've trusted in, things that we've relied on are slowly being taken and fading away. What's going to happen toilet paper goes away again. What are you going to do? And I know someone, goes, you're trying to scare me. No, I'm not. That's not a scary question, but we got to realize who is our source. Elijah got fed with ravens. What do they want to do? They want you to start eating bugs. Okay, great. I'm going to need a raven to drop off a steak on my barbecue later on. <laughs> and God in his mercy will send some massive crow. Carrying an eight-ounce tank, there it goes, on the barbecue, Lord, thank you. What are you going to do? What are you trusting and relying completely on? This is what grace wants to do. It wants to take you from depending on some natural or world standards to now get you slowly moving over. Hey, this is what grace is, to how to depend completely on God. You did it for your salvation, your eternity. Great, you started there, but it doesn't end there. Now it goes for every area of your life. How to make your wife happy. How to make your husband great. How, how do you do all these things? We just kind of go, I, I don't know, i got to just figure it out over here. And we use God as a last resort. He wants to be the primary focus for everything in our life. So again, what is ungodliness? Ungodliness is simply paying no attention to or have nothing to do apart from God. So what am I doing? Grace is going to teach me to stop living my life ignoring God, or grace is going to teach me to depend on God. That's what it wants to do. It all throughout the word of God. Specifically, I mean, in the house that I grew up, we talk faith. My parents are faith folk. This is what they do. And I'm really coming to realize that throughout all the teachings of faith, it's actually in the message, depend on God. And we're going to get into that probably next week. You find that in Romans chapter 4. Abraham, Sarah why did God wait till 190 years old to have that baby? They had to depend on God. Yeah. And sometimes we look, oh, by my faith I did this. No, Abraham needed help. What happened in the tent that night? Yeah. Seed was dead, sperm was dead, everything just dead in that tent. And then God walked in the room. Woo! <laughs> Things took place. Why? They completely depended on God. I tell you, man, it's something. We, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> let's finish this up here. Israel, again, and his an example of what not to do. So look at this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. You see this here. I want to just give you this foundation. These things happen. Again, talking about the nation of Israel. If you read 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it explains everything that Israel did while they were in the wilderness. And it says, these things, everything that happened to them, uh, they were examples for us. Say with me, an example. I'm the oldest of five children. I was the example for the other four. Don't do this because spankings hurt. You're welcome, siblings. Thank you, folks, for that. I greatly appreciate it now. (laughs) But the example for them, they were for us. So here's the thing. When example is laid out, don't follow the same suit. Learn from it and go, I got to do something a little bit different here. They were written down to warn us who live when? At the end of the age. The end of the dispensation. The end of the age of grace. We're coming to a close on that, folks. Jesus is coming. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. So what are we doing? I want to make sure that I understand and I see what happened through Israel, that I don't do the same things. Now let's turn here in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 19. And this is really, this is Moses' account of what happened in Numbers chapter 13, 14, 15. So I see, man, if you read this, uh, Numbers chapter 13 and verse 1, and it says, the Lord told Moses to send um, spies into the land. But when you actually kind of get more into the depth and the study of this, actually, the Lord never said anything to Moses about sending the spies into the promised land. Why is that such a big deal? Because God would have to say, you know what, I'm not quite sure about the land yet. So maybe go check it out first before you go in. God knew exactly what was happening in this land, and you're going to see it right here in verse 19, what took place. So he says, Then just as the Lord our God commanded us, we left Mount Sinai. We traveled through the great and terrifying wilderness, as you yourselves remember, and headed toward the hill country of the Amorites, where they arrived at Kadesh Barah. I said to you, again, the Lord said to you, You have now reached the hill country of the Amorites that the Lord our God is giving us. Look! Look! He has placed the land in front of you. Go and occupy it as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has promised you. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Verse 22. But you all came to me. The Israelites came to me and they said, First, let's send out scouts to explore the land for us. They will advise us on the best route to take and which towns we should enter. Well, verse 23, this seemed like a good idea to me. How many times do we hear that naturally speaking? Well, seems like a good idea to me. Ignoring what he said. He said, go, take it, possess it. Hmm. We better go check it out first. And we kind of go, What? Well, that's smart. Nope. God says, go, you go. Don't try to figure the whole thing out. It's none of your business. So, what did Moses do? I chose 12 scouts one from each of your tribes. They headed for the hill country and came to the valley of Eshcol and explored it. They picked some of its fruit and brought it back to us and they reported the land the Lord our God has given us is indeed a good land. But, he said, verse 26, you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God and you refused to go in. So not only didn't Pharaoh, we see, wasn't the problem. The giants weren't a problem. They refused to go in. Why? Belief system is off. The belief system is off. I'm not going in there. But the Lord provided it for you. I'm not doing that. But the Lord provided that job. I'm not taking that. It's $6 less an hour than what I used to get. But the Lord provided that. It doesn't make sense. The Lord's not asking you to make sense of it. He's asking you to believe and do what he asked. Verse 27. 27. You complained in your tents, and this is the problem that the majority of the world, and sadly most of the church has, they said in their tents, they say in their homes, the Lord must hate us. Look at all this. He must actually hate us. That's why he brought us here from Egypt to hand us over to the Amorites to be slaughtered, where can we go? Our brothers have dem- demoralized us with their report. They tell us the people of the land are taller and more powerful than we are, and their towns are large with rising walls into the sky. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Enoch. But I said to you, don't be shocked or afraid of them. The Lord your God is going ahead of you, He will fight for you. And we go, hoorah, in the church. But when you actually face the fight, what do we do? Oh, God. Why am I going through this? He never said you're not going to go through crap on this earth. It's full of it. It's going to be everywhere you go. It's going to be full of it. So what do we need to do? He says, go ahead. Take it. Possess it. Move forward. Why? He will fight for you just as you saw him do in Egypt. And that's why remembering is so powerful that God gave us. That's why he gave us a memory. Remember the last time that he rescued you? Remember the last time that he took you out of that pit? Remember the last time that he brought that financial situation to you? Remember the last time he healed your body? Do you remember, 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 remember? Keep those there. Those really are altars that day and night you can bring before the Lord and you say, Lord, I recall your faithfulness. This is what you did. This is who you are. I thank you on that. I stand on that. And I know in the future, you got my back. changes everything. So he said, and saw, you saw how the Lord your God cared for you all along the way as you traveled through the wilderness, just as a father cares for his child. Other translations say that how a father actually threw you on his back and piggybacked you in. This is what he does. I, the reason that really spoke to me is because just recently my youngest son is just, he's interested in being my backpack. So everywhere I go, I literally have to fling him on like a backpack and I walk around and he just grips on tight to the point I can't breathe. But I just thought, man, what a, what a picture of seeing. Just I threw my son on my back, and this thought came to me again. This is how he carries us. And all of a sudden, there's Lego pieces all over the floor. That's our wilderness at the moment. And he says, now he has brought you to this place. Verse 32, this is, I think, is, man. But even after all he did, you, you, you refuse to trust the Lord your God. Why? Belief system is off. Belief system is off. And that's why for you and I, we cannot allow unbelief. It is spiritual cancer. What natural cancer is, this is spiritual cancer, is unbelief. It'll rob you of your joy. It'll rob you of the inheritance. Just even think of like When you think inheritance, that's kind of big. Just think of the small things. It'll rob you of your peace in your home. All of a sudden you go, where did peace go? Where where is this? believing is off where's the joy man where's where is my joy where did it go it's not that it's disappeared and it's left you completely you're a born again child of god it's there but i have to get my believing proper again a lot of times we're just dependent well it depends on what's happening naturally speaking then i can be joyful no he says rejoice in the lord always and again i say rejoice the joy of the lord is my strength so what do i need to do i need to start practicing joy (laughs) Can I just tell you a quick testimony? I told this to my wife. This was a couple days ago. So this has been a period of some time now where my youngest son has been getting up at 4.30, 5 o'clock, 5.30 in that time frame. And it's just not proper. And so naturally speaking, there's this frustration of constantly being woken up in the night. I'm not just talking about once in a while. Constant. And I found myself fleshing out a little bit. I'm aggravated. I'm super duper annoyed at my youngest son going, what is wrong with you? Go to bed like every human being in the city of Red Deer is sleeping right now. <laughs> and I've drug him up the stairs. I have pinned him in his bed and say, go to sleep. Shut the door. Seven minutes later, he's back out. And I recalled a message that I've been listening to over and over And over faith comes how? By hearing and hearing and hearing the word of God. And it was talking about being doers of the word. The ones that are doers get blessed. So all of a sudden, the thought that came to me going, I need to do James chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. Count it all joy when you fall into these random trials. And listen, I understand sleep deprivation is not a huge deal compared to what's going on out there. But at this moment, I'm a little ticked off. I'm ready to hurt somebody. So what did I do? I actually sat in that chair with my son as he was screaming, yelling profusely. And I started going, Lord, I want to thank you for this opportunity to prove that your word is true, that it's true and that it's working. Lord, I just give you the glory. I give you the praise. Thank you for your goodness. man, Thank you for these four children. My heart changed towards him and it was in 30 seconds he fell asleep. I went... This actually works. <laughs> I put him back in his bed. I snuck out, and he didn't come downstairs till 6:45. That's an hour and 40 minutes later. I was so excited I didn't sleep. I went, This is what I'm talking about. Woo! Woke up the rest of the house. Guys, we're having pancakes. Sit down. Dad's cooking this morning. Jamie, help me with the pancakes. <laughs> but it felt so good. And I just thought, man, we got to be doers of this thing. So when he says, go take, go take. When he says, sit, sit. And I, Because the whole motivation behind all this, man, Lord, is Psalm. this is my last verse and then I'm done. Psalm 78, verse 41. It says, again and again, the Israelites, they limited God. Why? Because of their unbelief. They limited him. They prevented him. Look at this. Y'all, are we seeing this? Church, are we seeing this? They prevented him, the blesser, the giver. Listen, when you, when you frustrate a giver, it frustrates them. I have a son, one of, like Max. He is just a giver by nature. That's just what God put on the inside of him. He loves to give. And when you don't receive what he's offering to give, it hurts his heart. And I kind of saw that one, man. How much more our heavenly Father? That's why the rejection of Jesus is a huge deal, and it's the only deal in the slave market. But now, here, the people of Israel, those are the apple of his eye, the word tells us. He cared about them, threw them on his back, and carried him through the desert. He loved them, he loved them, he loved them. And now he's wanting to bless, but now he can't bless. Why? They, the Israelites, prevent him. No, we won't have it. And the result was they continually turned their back from him. And this word here really spoke to me. They provoked the Holy One of Israel. That Hebrew word provoked actually and literally means they marked him. When I saw this, it actually thought Israel's behavior marked the father's heart. In what kind of way? Not in a good way. It marked him. It hurt his heart. So when I see this, my heavenly father, I want to leave a mark with him. What kind of mark do I want to leave? Am I going to leave an unbelieving heart? One that's just, yeah, you see this in your word, Lord, but, but this, but so-and-so, but politics, but money, but blah, 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 blah. Is that the mark I want to leave with him? Or I want to leave a mark where he goes, thank you for trusting me. That's the mark I want to leave. When I leave this earth, that all of a sudden, man, I want... Whatever, naturally, I'm not talking naturally speaking, but when I leave this earth, it actually, the Lord goes, You trusted me down here. Thank you. That meant a lot to me. That's what I want. And this last little th- segment here, this is what God, this is from Lillian B. Yeoman. She was a, a prayer lady. She said, God delights in his children stepping out into the aching void with nothing under their feet but the word of God. That's his delight. So I don't know about you this morning. Right now, I want to declare my dependency on Him. And what, listen, it's going to take some time to fully get there, but grace is going to teach us. Because we've grown up in a society where we can trust, or we have trusted to this time, a lot of these natural resources and things that we have. And thank God for all of those things, but we cannot put our trust or our complete dependence on them because they were never meant to be our source. God alone was always meant to be that. So what we're going to be doing is as we're training spiritually is we're going to slowly be cutting the, you know, the cord towards some of these natural things. And we're going to start trusting in the Lord with all of our heart and leaning not to my own understanding. And in all my ways, Lord, I'm acknowledging you and you will direct and make straight and plain my path. This is his will for us. Can we just take a moment right where we're at just to give the Lord an opportunity well, obviously just we we minister to him i want i want to just make a declaration on the inside lord i'm declaring dependence on you in my marriage with my children with my finances with my relationships with my health i'm declaring my complete dependence on you i depend on your voice i depend on your spirit leading me Holy Spirit, thank you for your faithfulness to never leave me nor forsake me. Thank you, Jesus. You know what, let's say this together. Heavenly Father, Jesus is my Lord. He's my Savior, and he's also my source. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. Your mercy Your goodness, it follows me all the days of my life. Even when I walk through some of the valleys, you will always be there. I will always trust you. I'm not turning my back on you. I'm remembering the romance of our union. And I fully expect to ignite that in me. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord.